You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, Covenant Hope Church. Happy Easter. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Romans chapter 5. Guests, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so, especially here on this Easter morning. Uh, We normally walk through books of the Bible together, but we paused our series to consider the Easter story this morning and its implications. Uh, We call this preaching because we believe the Bible has something to say. We believe that God has not just shown up in history as uh, the second person of the Trinity in Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, but we believe that he has revealed himself through his word, which we have, and now we come and worship by submitting our lives to it. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those black hardcover Bibles in front of you and turn to page 1000 and follow along with us. Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, one of the 12 apostles, you may know him as Doubting Thomas. Maybe you're not familiar with the, uh, with the Easter story, but you're familiar with Doubting Thomas because he is the one who said, I won't believe unless I stick my fingers in the holes of his hands and in his feet. Thomas said, after the women had come back and proclaimed that the Lord Jesus had been raised from the dead, I will not believe unless. And Thomas begins to put qualifiers on when or why he would believe. Thomas, though, we may look at him and criticize him, He's not that much different than we are. Often we put up barriers or obstacles before the Lord and say, I will not believe unless you do this. Or God, I will trust you and believe in you if you do this for me. And often we're asking God to do more than he's already done. You see, Thomas had deserted the Lord Jesus on the night of his arrest and his crucifixion. And Thomas said, I will not believe what is holding you back today. Not just an intellectual that Jesus was alive, he was crucified and buried and raised. Not just a mental awareness that this is true but that you live in light of Jesus' resurrection. What are the obstacles that you are holding on to? Because as was just read to you, they have all been removed. We now have access. We now have peace and reconciliation because of what Christ has done. And this morning, we're going to talk about being a people who are both righteous and reconciled. Being a people who have experienced this life. Because if you've been brought from death to life, you've experienced the same resurrecting power that brought Jesus out of the grave. And how do we live that way? How do we live in light of the Easter story? Well, when we look here at Romans 5, in those first 11 verses, here's what we see. Those justified by faith have hope secured by God's work through Christ's death 
and resurrection. Now, if you're a disciple today, you've called on the name of Jesus, maybe you've done that for just a few months, few years, or maybe it's been decades. What are you to do today? Are we going to walk away, walk out of these doors after this Easter worship gathering and not really be changed by what we know to be true about Jesus and the rest of history? As disciples, I want us to walk in righteousness and to live out reconciliation. So here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to know. God proves his love for you by Christ's death on the cross and offers salvation through his resurrection. We have reasons to believe that God loves us. And therefore, we should respond in in an eternal perspective. We have reasons to believe and we have a response that come from those reasons. As we celebrate this morning, I want to connect those reasons that we can trust that Jesus is who he says he is and was raised from the grave and how we should live in light of that. Often we come to the Easter story and we read the gospel accounts and how beautiful a story they are. But often we leave and the resurrection has not actually changed us. It's not demonstrated to us what it is calling us to do. So I want us to look at Romans 5. And we're going to start in verse 1 and then we're going to actually go backwards. We're going to look at verses 6 through 11 and then we're going to come back to verses 2 through 4. So look there in your Bibles at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Four times in Romans, Paul is going to say, therefore. Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church, and he uses that word to make a transition. They're extremely important. If you want to understand the argument of the book of Romans, you need to understand why the therefores are there. The therefore is summarizing chapters 1 through 4. He's making a transition now. It is only through the work of Christ, his justification by faith, that peace and blessing follow. You can sum it up this way as Dr. Mounts does. He says, those who have placed their trust in Christ can rest assured that faith has been credited to them as righteousness, just like Abraham. Their confidence is based on the fact that Christ was put to death for their sins and raised again that they might be declared righteous. That's the summary of the first four chapters. But righteousness, that is being declared righteous. In in the court of law, God has said, you are righteous because of your faith in Christ. And reconciliation, that is you now have peace with God. Because of what Christ has done. We cannot have reconciliation without righteousness. We cannot enter into the throne room of God, be in his presence without being declared righteousness. This peace, though, is external. It's not a subjective feeling. It is true and fact that those who have placed their faith in Jesus are now welcomed into God's family as family members. It's not on our feelings, it's on our status. And so this summarizes both the previous four chapters and looks ahead to what Paul is going to do. And so this summary statement helps us consider the Easter story. Why in the world do we put our faith in Christ in the first place? Which brings us to two reasons to consider the Easter story. Two reasons to consider the Easter story. 
Number one, God proves his love to us. God proves his love to us. Jump down to verse five. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The hope of the resurrection that we can be restored and reconciled to God is proven in two specific ways. The first is that God has poured his love into our hearts. God actually floods our hearts with love. I don't know about you, I love going to country restaurants when we're traveling. And it's when you have that old lady who keeps bringing you sweet tea and you can't tell her no because she's just going to come by and she's going to keep pouring sweet tea. And you have to keep drinking it and keep drinking it and you're going to have to use the restroom another hour when you get back on the road. That's the kind of flooding that we're talking about. The Spirit of God is so flooding you that you now understand His love. The Holy Spirit is a gift. Actually, he he gives himself to us when we place our faith in Christ. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who now kindles in us love and the ability to love. I grew up, my mom and dad, they have a a wood stove that they burn for heat. uh, And uh, we used to chop wood uh, for that often. Praise God that I don't have a wood stove in my house because I, I would like to not chop wood ever again. Uh, but we would grow up, and my dad, would, we'd put the wood in the, in the stove, and he would have to sit there. And have to kindle that fire to get started. You can't just throw wood in there and expect it to burn. You have to kindle that fire and fan it. And my dad would sit there and sit there and sit there. I'm like, hey, can we go upstairs, please? And he'd sit there fanning that fire into flame so that it can burn all night and keep us warm. That's what the Holy Spirit does for you. It fans God's love. He's pouring it in and begins to help you experience that love in your life. This is a personal, internal, yet tangible experience of God's love in our lives. And when we experience the love of God through his spirit, we've been made righteous. We've been reconciled. It proves to us that our faith is real and it's working. Because love only comes from one place. It comes from God. It's a gift to us that we can experience his love through his spirit. And if it's this love that Paul talks about produces hope, if God loves us, what could we be afraid of? Paul goes on in chapter 8 to talk about if God is for us, who can be against us? God has proven to us by those who accepted Christ as their Lord, submitted their life to him, we now receive that love and experience it. But the second way God proves his love to us, look at verse 6. For while we will steal sinners helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is the Easter story. There may not be any other verse that sums up the Easter story than verse 6 itself. So you see, the Spirit leads us to Christ every single time. The Spirit, God's love poured into us, will lead us to Christ, to his cross, and to his gospel. If God's Spirit is the personal and internal experience, then the work of Christ is the external and objective truth and reality. Paul says that Christ gave his life. Literally, he died for us. But look at how Paul describes this. And it's really important that we come to to this passage and we look at what Paul says. Because he describes us a particular way. He says we're helpless. You are 
We, we are morally and spiritually helpless. We're hopeless. We cannot make any difference. We're unable to change our destiny. We were destined for God's wrath that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 1. We're destined to be separated from him for eternity because we have sinned against him. Paul says that we're ungodly. We don't want to worship him. We have no desire for him. A hopeless situation. Completely without the ability to do anything about it. And our culture is obsessed with this kind of hope and ability. That's why we have a decade now of superhero movies. It's because we like the idea or the belief that we too can be a superhero. But we can't. We can't. There is nothing we can do to change who we are. It can only be done in Christ. And now in the midst of this hopeless situation, there is no delay in God's timing. None. Look there, those four words, at the right time. His timing is right. God worked in the right time and the right way to send Christ at the specific point in history that he needed to be. In his timing, there is no delay. Some of you are waiting on news. Some of you have been praying for loved ones to come to faith in Christ. Some of you have been dealing with ailments and sicknesses and disease. Some of you have been waiting for a very long time. But if God sent Christ at the right time, then we can trust him in whatever we face. Because one day, whether it's now or in 40 years, we will experience the reality of Christ's resurrection. We will experience the timing of the gospel in our lives. Now, Paul's going to use an illustration to help us understand what he's saying and help us understand the significance of Christ's death. Look at verse 7. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. This is Paul's logic. We're not going to just give our lives up for anyone. right? Paul even says, even for a just person, someone who uh, follows the law, someone who is a rule follower. Rather, laying your life down demands much more than that. It demands love. The good person is someone who is lovely, someone who is lovable. The good person is someone that we would give ourselves for. It's like a mother for her children or the soldier for his, his other soldiers. It is, I am going to lay my life down because I love you. This is what is needed for Christ to come into the world and to save us. But how does God show us that love? Look at verse 8. But God proves his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for us when we were good. He didn't die for us when we were morally upstanding. We had failed. We had sinned against him and rebelled against him. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, still his enemy. But this is the magnitude of God's love. That in the midst of our own rebellion... And failure, God died for us. God's love triumphed where our human failure was so clearly seen. 
God's love is so grand because we were his enemy. And this dying for us means that Jesus died in our place. This is called atonement. You are not able to make up for your sin. You can't pay for your sin. You can't sacrifice enough for your sin. You cannot do all the right things. You cannot say all the right words. There is no magical incantation. Jesus, the God of the universe, through whom all atoms hold together, had to die for you and me. Jesus died in our place and paid the price of our sin. You see, the night of Jesus' trial and arrest, Pilate is trying to basically let Jesus go. He's trying to appease the Jews, but he knows that Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. And in in this back and forth between Herod and Pilate, there's this man that's brought out named Barabbas. And he's a killer. He literally, literally is the one who caused the rebellion. And they say, do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? And the Jews scream, we want to crucify Jesus. And so they let Barabbas go. A known murderer, a rebel, they let him go. And Jesus trades places with Barabbas who was going to be crucified that night. We are Barabbas. Jesus literally trades his life for ours. Jesus became what what we are not so that we could become like he is. You see, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the life of the universe. He is what holds it together and breathes it into existence. He is the one who is life itself. And it is that life who died so that we might experience life. This is God's love. That he would send his own son to die in our place. God has proven his love to us. But love is not a feeling. Love is a voluntary act. Love is action on display to put others' needs ahead of your own. Jesus in the garden prays, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Let this pass from me, but not my will, but your be done. Jesus knew what it would cost. He knew what he was about to walk into. And even still, he gives his life for us. This is the proof That God has demonstrated his love in Christ because Christ has died for sinners. This happens because God is love, not because we are lovable. The Christian message is offensive at some level. But we don't call doctors offensive when they tell a patient they have cancer. When doctors tell someone they're sick and dying, we want to know the news so maybe we can treat it. The gospel tells us that we are sinners and helpless and ungodly and not lovable, yet God loves us anyway. There's a cure to that. But in our sin, we often rebel. And we do not want to trust in that simple yet free solution that Jesus has died in your place for your sin and for mine. 
God proves his love to us both by giving us his spirit and Jesus dying on the cross. But there's another reason you should consider Easter. God promises salvation to us. Look at verse 9. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more have been reconciled will we be saved by his life? The gospel proclaims God's great love for us and demonstrates love to us. Jesus died in our place to make us right with God and to bring us into God's family. But this isn't all. God also promises salvation to us in Christ. And Paul introduces an argument from greater to lesser. Basically, if A is true, then B will absolutely follow. If God has done the great work of dying for sinners and that that death has justified us, then he will certainly save his people. The idea of salvation is what many people think about when they give their life to Jesus. It is what many people think about when they think about the gospel. We have been saved. And of course, this is true. We have been saved. Yet Paul talks about it in Romans. He uses this word saved. He uses it eight times. And seven out of the eight times, he's talking about the future. He's talking about the future. It is not relegated to the past. It's something that's going to happen. Salvation is both a past, present, and future reality. But Paul goes further with the same argument. If God has reconciled us when we were enemies, how much more can we look toward our salvation? You see, we were reconciled despite being enemies of God, right? Enemies aren't friends. They're not even close. Enemies are in a separate camp. Even though we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. And we now can experience peace and reconciliation through the life that Christ now offers us. We will experience salvation This salvation only comes through Christ's life. You see, Jesus absolutely paid for sin in his death. But the resurrection does a few things that we need to understand. First, it proves, it vindicates who Jesus is. If Jesus died on the cross and stayed dead, we might as well leave because it doesn't matter. If the resurrection isn't true, then you might as well go and do whatever you want to. But if it's true, it proves that Jesus is Lord, that he is God's son, born of a virgin in the flesh, walked among us. Secondly, it secures our victory over sin, death, and Satan. This is the only way to be saved. But we are also saved by sharing in Christ's life. When we submit our life, when we lay our life down, we receive Christ's life. We receive his resurrection by faith. This is why we gather to celebrate Easter. It's why we gather every week to proclaim that Jesus has been raised from the, de- from the dead. It is the core of the Christian gospel. The tomb is empty and the evidence is undeniable. Jesus reigns as Savior and Lord. Now, maybe the resurrection or its possibilities There's something holding you back from believing that today. Here here are just a few thoughts quickly on why you can believe the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
First and foremost, there are women who report this news to the disciples, and it's written down in the Bible. Women's, uh, their account would not have been considered in the court of law. So if they were trying to prove something that was fake, they would not have used, they would not have used Mary's testimony about Jesus. The disciples, what do we read about when Jesus is crucified? They, they, they run, except John. They all run from when Jesus is arrested and when he's crucified and beaten. They all run. So how do they go from being fearful to courageous, to even dying the same way that Jesus does? There's only one, there's only one explanation. It's that Jesus is alive and that he commissioned them to do what he said. And then you got to think about the conversion of Paul. Paul, was, Saul of Tarsus, was, was Jesus' arch enemy at some level. He was the Lex Luthor to Superman. And in the end, Paul says, you know what? I was wrong. Now I'm going to give my life to share the gospel of Jesus. And not only that, as was read for you earlier in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about all the things that he endured because he believed that Jesus was Lord and had been raised from the dead. Those are just a few things. There are more. That this resurrection is true and verifiable. That we have faith in something sure. The empty tomb declares that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is at the center of all of God's redemptive history. And let me say, really clearly but kindly, it's insulting to God to say that there are multiple ways to heaven. Here's why. Because if there are multiple ways to heaven, why in the world would God send his own son to endure the crucifixion of a Roman cross? Why? If there are multiple ways to get there. No, God knew that there was only one way to get there. To bring you into his family was for his son to die for us. That's the only way. God knew, Jesus knew that Jesus had to taste death so that we may experience life. Look there at verse 11. And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received this reconciliation. We've been declared righteous by God. We've been reconciled to him. This is the demonstration by his spirit and the work of Christ. All this leads it leads to our salvation. It leads to our salvation from God's wrath on evil, sin, and death. It may not look like God's going to judge the world, but he will. And we will be spared from that because we have placed our faith in Christ. And if you haven't placed your faith in Christ this morning, you will not be spared from that. And Paul says, we rejoice, we boast in that truth because we will be saved we will be with him forever what else could be our response if if jesus has died for us then why else what else would we do but boast in our king what else will we do but rejoice in what he has done and what he will do for us rejoicing is the most logical response so we have two reasons to consider the easter story but what changes because of Easter? What changes? Right there in verse 11, rejoicing no matter what. Which brings us back to verse 2. So our response must be this. Hope provides an eternal perspective. 
Hope provides an eternal perspective. Look there, verse 2. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast, there's that word again, in the hope of the glory of God. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus changes everything. You know, we can now have a relationship with God. Jesus literally provides the introduction. That's what Paul means by this word access. He, he brokers the introduction for us into God's family. He opens the door for us into God's throne room. We've been invited into the, the king's chamber to speak to him. And we now get to experience grace by standing in the truth that we get to remain with the king. We won't be put outside. We will stay with him forever. But we don't just stand in grace. Look at verse 3. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proving character and proving character produces hope. Those two verses stand in contrast to what we often think about when we think of having salvation in Jesus. But Jesus is clear. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Following Jesus does not change our circumstances. It changes how we respond. Look at how hope, in the hope of salvation sets off a chain of events. First, Paul says that we not only boast in the hope of the glory of God, which is our resurrection, but we also boast in our afflictions. For those who have received righteousness, reconciliation, and salvation, we can confidently rejoice in our afflictions. How in the world is that possible? First, afflictions, that's suffering. There's two kinds in this world. There's suffering in a way that you are being persecuted for your faith. And because you have stood up for Jesus, you're being persecuted. That's one way. But there's also suffering in a way that we live in a broken world. And right now, we don't have the answers to that suffering in a broken world. Why we get cancer and why there are tornadoes that level cities and, and floods and all kinds of things. Why? We, we just know that our world is broken by sin. There are two ways in which afflictions come to us. Paul, though, has in mind the first. Afflictions because we hope in the resurrection. Our lives have been changed by the resurrection. And these aren't minor inconveniences, but they're serious and life-altering afflictions. In the midst of any affliction, we know that suffering is not going to be the last, the last word to us, though. It's not going to be the last feeling. It's not going to be the reality that we always face. We have hope, a complete certainty, that when Jesus returns or he takes us before that, that we will experience the resurrection that is ours in Christ. Our hope can help us rejoice because this isn't the last word. There are more chapters to be written in the story. To D.A. Carson, he said, you are not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. There's been lots of suffering represented in this room, whether by sin or by persecution or whatever it may be. But there is nothing that the resurrection of Jesus cannot fix for us. Maybe not now, but in the end, 
It's going to be all worth it. As Paul said, he counts everything as loss. Sometimes we're fooled into thinking that when something is difficult for us, it's some, somehow it snuck past God. Like, like, God must not know this is happening to me. No, God does. And here's how I know. Because God, the Father, sent his own son to die on a Roman cross. None of us have experienced that. None of us have walked in that. There are Christians, just yesterday, there were Christians who were murdered because they were worshiping on Easter. But that pales in comparison to the glory and the hope of the resurrection. That we can stare death right in the face and say, you don't have any power over me. That's how we can boast in our afflictions. But secondly, Paul says afflictions will produce endurance. This is steadfastness. It's perseverance. We're able to press on towards faithfulness despite whatever our circumstances are. We all can endure some pain for a little while. But we might be able to endure pain longer if we know in the end it's going to be all right. It's going to make us better. Right? As an athlete, you train and you put your body through two-a-days and sprints and running. Or those of you who have run miles and miles and miles, I have no idea reason why you would run. The Bible says you only run when someone's chasing you. But, it, but you know that this is going to be, there's going to be an end to that pain. And Paul says that affliction, it leads to endurance for us to press on into faithfulness, to help us fight sin, to pursue godliness, to live out the gospel. And thirdly, it is this endurance that will provide the opportunity for character to be built. Right? Paul says it's proven character. It means that you've been tested. Right? It's based on the evidence from a trial. Think of it as this word testedness. It's not an actual word. I made it up this week. Testedness. It helps us see that when we experience afflictions, when we endure, we now are looking more like Jesus because we have walked through the trial and the fire. John Stott says, if suffering leads to glory in the end, it leads to maturity in the meanwhile. However long that is, we know that our suffering will, will only end in glory. In the meantime, we'll trust him that we will look more like Jesus. But finally, our proven character that is, we've seen God work, we have experienced God work, and we actually have worked with him. We've, we've actually grown personally. Right? That, that's what it means to have proven character. But sometimes we need other people to tell us, to, to show us, hey, you've really grown in that way. Easter is the fantastic opportunity for you to look at a brother and sister and say, I am so proud of how you've matured in Christ. Because sometimes we need other people to tell us that we have that proven character. Because sometimes we don't see it. And it's this proven character that leads us to lasting hope. And we actually get to do that together. Or this hope of what God has done in the past and what God is doing now and what he will do, it will not disappoint us. Hope enables us to respond in light of our salvation. That we will be resurrected with Jesus when he returns one day. We now, for those of us who have accepted Christ, live unto our resurrection. What do I mean by that? We live in light of one day we will be resurrected. 
It is the goal. It is, the, it is the, even the means by which we get there. That we will one day be like Jesus. That step by step, we become more like our Savior. Right? Hope is so powerful. Hope gives us a vision of the future glory that will stimulate powerful living today. Hope helps us live now. And oftentimes the gospel, or at least the, the story of Jesus talked about, you know, you just need a crutch in life. You just need something to get you by in the reality of this world. Nope. I need much more than a crutch. I need a bed. I need a hospital. I need the gospel of Jesus to wrap his arms around me and to help me get through this life. Because there's no other way. Jesus His life, death, and resurrection from the grave is the only thing that can keep us going. And we can fool ourselves into believing that we can make it on our own, but Jesus is the only way. This is the call of the gospel. This is what following Jesus looks like. If you want to submit your life to him, to receive righteousness reconciliation and life and a future salvation this is what that hope will do in your life that no matter what comes your way you can stand in grace and you can boast in affliction because you know that that affliction will end in hope in glory it will produce an eternal perspective that one day will be truly realized when Christ returns See, here's the deal. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was, was crucified and was raised. But at some point in the future, there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sin. When Jesus comes back, we will be resurrected with him only if you have placed your faith in Christ. And what that means is that you submit your life to his. It doesn't, it's not just a mental thing. It's not just a prayer. It's that you give every piece of yourself to Jesus. And if you do that, you will experience that resurrection. You will be fully alive, fully human in Christ. The question, church, is this. Will you respond by leaving the empty promises of the world aside and pursue him and turn to him And trust him. This is only possible with the Easter story. You have reasons to know that God loves you. Reasons to know that he's offered you salvation. Will you respond in faith this morning? Pray with me. God, we proclaim the beauty of the gospel that Jesus is Lord of all things, including our lives. God, I pray right now that we would be a people who know, who, who have reasons to believe in this resurrection and therefore respond in a perspective that is true, that in the end you win and in the end we will be raised to new life. God, I pray that we honor you in walking through trials and afflictions. I pray that we are 
We're built up, strengthened to persevere. I pray that we are people who are tested so that we can continually praise you because we have hope in Jesus. God, there is nothing that we can do. There's nowhere else we could turn. It is to you and only you that we offer ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.